Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of I Like to Read with me, your host, Rachel Polanski. Apologies if the lighting is a bit weird for those visual viewers. I would say the visual listeners, and I guess you are listening, but you're also visual watch. I don't know. The ones who consume this program visually. Um, it is actually a surprisingly cloudy day in Los Angeles, and I, for one, am not complaining. I went for a little uh, walk, hike, jaunt earlier, and it was quite lovely. At first, I was like, maybe it's going to be a little too cold, or maybe it'll be muggy, because Lord knows we could use some rain, and this will all make sense in just a moment. It's not just a random diatribe about wanting the rain and the clouds, although it actually started out as that, but coincidentally, it's going to fit with my first book, so just wait one minute. Give you one more life update, a very big life update. Stay tuned. Just kidding. It's a small injury. Um, anyways, beautiful weather for me subjectively objectively those might not like the cloudy days it does make it a lot harder to get motivated and do things such as record this podcast but i'm here for y'all oh and then the time that this is released before i get to my injury and the books um the interview with tony magistrale repeat guest number one former professor of mine scholar extraordinaire of all things stephen king gothic edgar Allan poe literature vampires. Um, We talked about the illustrations of Edgar Allan Poe. I have not recorded that episode yet at the time of this recording. However, at the time of this release, if all goes according to plan, then that episode will already be out. So check it out if you have not already. Let me know your favorite Edgar Allan Poe story in the comments. Is Is it a poem? Is it a story? Is it, you know, what? what's your favorite Edgar Allan Poe piece of medium? Let me know in the comments. And yes, uh, you might notice that I have a Band-Aid and you probably didn't notice and or care. I was slicing some carrots this weekend and I don't really know how it happened because I'm sure y'all know when you experience like those brief moments of trauma or like either physical or mental craziness and extreme um, sensory overload, you go into shock and you kind of black out and forget everything that's happening in the present moment because you're just trying to stay conscious just me, anybody else. Um, Yeah, it's kind of a miracle. I'm pretty clumsy, so it's knock on wood. I always am nervous that I'm going to cut myself when I'm cooking, and this is all coming from a very strange place because I have this, like, basically a phobia, I think, of, like, my own blood and maybe even other people's blood in real life and injuries, but, like, I can watch and read about, like, gruesome pretty i mean i have some limits i like think the the fly and like david cronenberg like extreme body horror does definitely still gross and freak me out but like not only am i freaked out by the my own like loss of blood but it's like what is my body doing so yeah i can watch someone get decapitated it's scary and i don't have children so at this time in my life at least i can comfortably not comfortably because of course i'm not a monster and i still take some sort of you know it's not pleasant necessarily to listen to the horrible stories of children having things happen to them. How do we get into this category? I, how do we get here? I don't know. Long story short, I'm surprised it's taken me this long to cut myself. Um, I am lucky that Jason was here and helped me wrap it up. So I did not faint because Lord knows that almost happened. Um, but I'm here and I am ready to talk about more books. So the first one that I am going to be talking to you about today is Something New Under the Sun by Alexandra Kleeman. So we all know in reality that California is in a drought. It's no surprise. I mean, you know, I've only lived in California a little over five years, but I'm sure, you know, whether it's a song about it's always it never rains in Southern California or for me, the most iconic image that comes into mind when they talk about the California drought is in a Cinderella story when everyone has their brown lawns and they're panning over the neighborhood and then they get to 
the stepmother's house, Jennifer Coolidge's house, where Cinderella slash Hilary Duff lives, and their lawn is bright green because they're, you know, they don't care about the drought. So what? They're, why should their lawn be brown just because there's a little less water? So imagine we live in that kind of society, but like 10 times bad. So here, you know, I in California, I don't love to drink the tap water. In fact, I almost never do, mostly because it like has a weird taste to me, not because I think that there's anything like quote unquote bad about it. So I always filter my water. Um, I'm not at this point blessed in my life to have one of those fridges that like automatically filters it for you. So like first world problems that I have to fill up my, you know, knockoff Brita, whatever it's called, like pure filter every day or two, not even every day, two, like every day because we drink a lot of water. But at least we have it and, you know, you can wash your hands comfortably and you can take a shower comfortably. So Alexandra Kleeman's new novel toys with the idea of what if the world's water supply was limited and we had to come up with another alternative. And that alternative exists in the form of water, which is spelled W-A-T hyphen R. It's just like water, only better. And so you're like, well, water itself is like one of the purest things on earth. So I think the idea of playing with something so essential to human survival, but addressing it in this sort of manner, I think I've read plenty of sort of dystopian post-apocalyptic novels where there's some sort of food or water or, you know, climate crisis resource, but it deals with sort of the the inciting incident happens at the beginning and then it sort of deals with the aftermath. This is kind of what deals with like leading up to it. So we know that things are bad. We know that things are different, obviously, than today's society, but we also know that because of this water sort of manufactured product, humans are able to survive and water has become a much more commodified thing. You know, there's different flavors, there's different levels of it. The consumption of it right now is pretty much like in California. And the reason we're in California is because our own, our main character, Patrick, is a movie producer. He left his family on the East Coast just to come out for what he thinks is just a simple adaptation of his novel. Um, And he soon finds out that it is much more than that. So I don't want to go too far into it. There's definitely like sort of espionage, like what are they not telling us about this water? Um, There's that component to it. There's a character study component to it because Patrick is dealing with what it means to sort of be both a success in the sense that he's published this book, um, but he's also trying to support his family, who we get to know through their um, quote-unquote adventures on the East Coast. And through it all, there's just this running, omnipresent sort of sense that whatever this water is, it's not natural water. Something is off about what the world is going to come to, and it's only a matter of time before main characters succumb to some sort of disastrous fate, whether or not that's like immediate or sort of like in the near future um, will remain to be seen for you. I think that Alexandra has written one other book and one collection of short stories, both of which I've read, and you two can have a body like mine, which came out in 2015, which feels like forever ago. I remember loving that book, and this is similar in the sense that it's, you know, toying with our idea of a not-so-distant future that could very well be the future or the present day in a different world and a mostly familiar world and familiar characters and placing them in, like, slightly uncanny and slightly uncomfortable and omnipresent, um, omniscient sort of narration and a larger purpose. All that and more is wrapped up in Somewhere Under the Sun. Next, we have We Were Never Here by Andrea Bartz. This was just like a good old-fashioned thriller. And I mean good old-fashioned thriller in the sense that like there's definitely thought and development put into our characters. 
all of our loose ends are more or less tied up at the end. There are definitely some twists and turns that, while I may have predicted them, they didn't necessarily play out in the way I had thought. Um, so all that being said, we are our two main characters, Emily and Kristen, are BFFs um, who are brought even closer together by a tragedy that happens to them when they are backpacking a year ago from when we meet them in the present. And then it turns out that something about that tragedy has repeated itself a year later. That tragedy is that both girls were um, sexually assaulted and then they ended up having to defend themselves against their attacker and inadvertently killing him. So, of course, that's traumatic. And, you know, rather than going to the police and like anything that like a quote unquote responsible person would do, you know, they just decide to bury the bodies and live with a guilt. And so uh, those literal they're you know, the body, the skeletons in the closet. Um, I think it's a really great portrayal of how one deals with the after effects of, you know, murdering someone. I think we get a lot of, you know, the, it wasn't also, murdering and I say murder, you know, killing someone too. And Emily's motivations are very um, motivated by the sense that she loves Kristen and her, she's her best friend, but it, she also is forced to reevaluate her entire relationship with Kristen because of these circumstances. And she reveals a lot of things, you know, Kristen has some dark paths that were, were led down. Emily also becomes like an unreliable narrator at, at a certain point. And so the way that Andrea Bartz deals with our, you know, is this character someone we can trust? What are we supposed to believe? Are we supposed to believe anything? And do we still have sympathy for them despite the fact that they have done something pretty bad? Yes, all that and more lies behind. We were never here. Next, we have All's Well by Mona Awad. We should just call this episode, and we're not going to because I already have another title. Um, I think four of the five, at least this one, the one before, yeah, so four of the five, except for the last one we're going to talk about, are all authors that, while may have not been featured on the podcast yet, mostly because a lot of their books came out way before I Like to Read was even a little thought in my brain. Um, a repeat author, at least for me, but new to the podcast. So Mona Awad wrote a really, really cool book called Bunny. She also wrote a great book that I remember specifically reading on a plane. I want to say it was to San Francisco from Boston in college, but I could be wrong. Um, she wrote another book called Ten Way- Sorry, 13 Ways of Looking at a Fat Girl. But today we're talking about All's Well. So this is sort of like a dark comedy. Um, it's not not quite a tragedy, not quite a comedy. Um, and as you might in, have guessed from the name, this is a Shakespearean novel, but it takes place in present day. And it's not, okay, we're going to, it's not like a she's the man, 10 things I hate about you at adapting a Shakespeare story. Rather, it takes the idea of Shakespeare and specifically the two plays all's well that ends well, which I was not really familiar with and which the book kind of gets into and chooses as a play itself because it's one that lies in between um, the comedies and the tragedies and is one of Shakespeare's lesser known ones. Also plays a lot with the idea of Macbeth and sort of the the infamous curse of Macbeth. So our main character, Miranda, is a drama teacher at a sort of small uh, I don't want to say failing, but like lesser funded university. And she is tasked with the, I, the putting on the play for her students. And this year she has chosen the Shakespeare play All's Well. And her students want her to do Macbeth. Macbeth. So that kind of sounds like, oh, you know, where's this going? But what makes Miranda a really compelling and interesting character is she is bombarded by this torturous physical pain that um, came about actually because of an injury during a production of Macbeth that she was in. So this pain just sticks with her and is so viscerally described. And what's really unfortunate about it is it's the kind of pain that 
is so suppressive and so real to her, but it's not something that can necessarily be measured um, via, you know, EKGs or via certain tests. Like she goes to different doctors and physical therapists and the way that she interacts with them and this torturous idea of like hope and wanting to get better and wanting to believe that these doctors and people can treat you while also, you know, assigning yourself to the fact that like how much of the pain is tied up in my psychology. You know, they're basically like gaslighting her, telling her her pain isn't real. Um, it, she reached, you know, it's clear that something is going to happen, but it's not exactly clear what. I will say that the, I don't want to give away too much again, but I will say that the ideas behind Macbeth and most specifically witchcraft and the notion of, you know, three people may or may not change your life by t- dictating your fate to you in one, one afternoon. Um, and our curse is real and is a tragedy, a comedy, is a comedy, a tragedy, and is all's well. It ends well. You'll have to find out by reading this one. And next, we have definitely a repeat podcast guest, not guest, I wish, author, someone you're probably familiar with, Mr. Stephen King. We have his newest book, Billy Summers. This one, um, again, I can't say I've read all of Stephen King's, King's books. I don't even want to put a percentage on it because I know he's read, like, written far more than I can even begin. You know, I've, I know the classics. I know probably some of a few of the lesser known ones, but probably couldn't even begin to tell you half of them. But Billy Summers... Definitely reminds me a bit more of his pulpy, like, detective novels, more in the sense because there's really not a supernatural element behind this. I think a lot of King's books, even if they deal, a lot of them deal with the very real core of humanity and what makes a monster. And a lot of times the humans are monsters, even if there is some sort of supernatural element. See, like Carrie or The Mist. Side note on my side note. If you like Stephen King and if you like Tony Magistrale, Make sure you check out that interview, which I believe was like on a year ago, where we talk about the films of Stephen King specifically. Um, So Billy Summers is a hitman and he is hired to do a job and his job is to kill this criminal named Joel Allen. But it's not so much a simple sort of like, all right, go here, kill him at this time. Billy really has to engage himself in this identity in order to make sure this hit goes off because it's more than just he's paid to kill this man. Clearly, there's like different higher levels of operation at play, and it's about so much more than that. So he is told that he has to go undercover as an author and that he has to have his cover for, like, at least six weeks. Like, he really has to ingratiate himself in the neighborhood. He, like, comes up with multiple identities, so he layers those on each other. Um, As Goodreads says, it's about love, luck, fate, and a complex hero with one last shot at redemption. And so while the first half really deals with sort of him immersing himself in this fake identity and these multiple layers of identities while, you know this looming hit is happening because this book was almost 600 pages i had a feeling that the hit itself was more again of the inciting incident even though it comes about halfway into the book and then billy meets somebody else after that and the way that he decides to take the shape of his life on um changes because of her also there's a story within a story there's always some sort of commentary on writing in stephen king books whether it's meta or not this one is really cool too because we learn about billy's troubled past we learn about his history in iraq not just in flashbacks, not just in him sitting down and telling the other character Alice a story, but in him being forced to take on this fake writer persona, he's forced to write some sort of story, so he explores his past and the way that that spools out and different themes between that. You know, there's part war story, part, you know, hitman, sort of like Sopranos mob type. You got the 
the more of like a father daughter relationship between him and the main character although there's some like weird romantic stuff i will say you know love stephen king is he the best at developing and creating nuanced three-dimensional female characters that don't just exist to like further the plot and or tell the man's story in his wake i don't know about that one but either way billy summers was still very enjoyable and last, but certainly certainly not least, and the only one whose books I have not read, but I now am planning to read her other two books because I like this one so much, we have The People We Keep by Alison Larkin. So our main character, April, she has had a rough life. She grows up in the early 90s, coincidentally 1994, the year I was born, and she, her mother is not in the picture. Her father is barely in the picture. She's living in an abandoned motorhome by herself. And all she wants is to just, like, play her music and be a rock star. And she's actually really, really good. And people in her town like her. Um, but for various circumstances, she decides that she needs to leave. And so she establishes herself after it's, you know, she, she has a rough go of things. She's homeless multiple times. She's definitely a transient, a drifter. But the people that she meets and experiences and her multiple stops along the way for this journey you know she never really has a specific destination in mind she april exists as the sort of character who has abandonment abandonment issues so anytime that she feels really close to someone she gets nervous and puts her guard up she develops these really well-crafted cultivated relationships that don't come easily to her but as i just mentioned she is not so great at keeping those so her music is the one thing that keeps her alive and keeps her going and fuels her and not only like makes her money and helps literally helps her survive in that sense but also like mentally because she's got a lot of stuff going on and so you know she definitely inspires she doesn't inspire excuse me she inspires empathy she doesn't inspire sympathy because despite all her rough circumstances as a character she you know if anything like people try to help her and she won't even accept it because she just feels like she doesn't deserve it so it's really heartbreaking but also bittersweet and hopeful and uplifting at the same time because she is so young but there's so many people who do care about and help her that she meets just by the nature of good fortune and that's some not so nice people too and you know the people she meets along the way help her confront different versions of herself as well so it's just a really beautiful coming of age um yeah it's not a young adult novel even though the, our character is a young adult um it's a coming of age beautiful story about what it means to find yourself and find relationships with people along the way and be carried by the spirit of music so i hope you all enjoy those like i said let me know your favorite edgar Allan poe tale let me know what you've been reading and until next time stay reading bye mm-hmm.